our series, Who is Jesus?, really uh, comes to new life when we consider uh, this particular week uh, in Jesus' life. And we're going to be looking at uh, both the, the account of the day as well as where we're at and look at how those come together. So I want to start by reading from uh, Luke's account of uh, what we understand to be the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. We read there uh, Luke 19 at verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. But when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus comes into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday with uh, people that are continually amazed at the wonderful things that he's doing. And the, the scene set there would be one of a, of a victorious king coming in, riding on a donkey and, and spreading palm branches and, and coats out on the road. It was a way of paying tribute to the king. And their, their shouts were shouts of, Hosanna, save us! You wonder, what exactly did they understand about that day? This isn't too far down the road, as it were, from where we're at in our reading. And Mark's account of, of the triumphal entry, like most of the, the rest of his accounts in, in the book, are very abbreviated. But there is this sense where there is a recognition of, of some of those close to Jesus, the ones that have been following along the, the, the growing number of disciples and the, the crowds that seem to always be around Jesus. There's this growing sense of amazement at what he's doing. People are always seeking to interact with Jesus. Uh, and yet their understanding is still so limited. So I wonder, what exactly do you think they thought 
as Jesus was riding. What is the condition of the people's hearts at this point? Because we celebrate this day because we recognize we recognize the, the entrance of our king. We, we have all of the continuing story as part of our history. Uh, they're not there yet. Uh, we look back on this day. They're still processing who is Jesus in their time. And in the midst of all of that, there is this uh, loud cry of Hosanna. Almost some of the, some of the words there ringing of, of Christmas morning. Hosanna in the highest, peace on earth. And Jesus brings fulfillment to even what the angels had said, not, not as a baby anymore, but as the, the servant that would give his life for all. That's the, that's the stage set today. But let's go back. If you've ever watched a, a movie or TV show where there's something happening, and then all of a sudden there's this flash across the screen, and the scene changes uh, one week earlier. And I don't know the exact time frame from uh, Palm Sunday as we know it to where we are in our reading, but it's very close. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's already switched his focus now from, from uh, being in the region of Galilee to now moving into Jerusalem to accomplish his ultimate task. And so we're going to pick back up where we left off in our reading and put all of this together. At Mark chapter 9 at verse 38, Jesus said to him, this is, this is uh, on the heels of uh, this whole argument of being the greatest and understanding what servanthood is. Uh, John, one of the uh, three, Peter, James, and John, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives a, you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Palm branches and briars. I chose that title of the message today because I think when we look at Palm Sunday, and we, we reflect on Jesus coming in, we think of this uh, wonderful, and many of our translations in the, in the subheadings, which are not original or not inspired, they, they give us headings so we can find our place quickly. Typically, we see the heading here at this place, the triumphal entry. Now, we would recognize that, as I've said, uh, from Jesus' standpoint. And yet the the, the triumph hasn't been, been uh, accomplished yet. It's getting very close. And obviously the, the people of the day are recognizing that Jesus is, is, is coming in, but I think they still have a very mixed view of what he's come for. They're, I think, still expecting, even as the disciples were, 
expecting a, an earthly king, one who would free them from oppression in that day. And not seeing further down the road, not understanding the grand picture. And so in the midst of this triumphal entry, there are a lot of confused people. And even as we see his disciples who have been uh, misunderstanding what, who the Christ was, what is, what is his mission, what is his purpose, when are you going to restore the kingdom, they keep wondering about. In the midst of Jesus making his way into Jerusalem, there's a lot of misunderstanding and confusion and arguing, as we heard about before, and you see the, the shallowness of the disciples and the, certainly the, the rest of the crowd, the rest of those following him, as much as they love Jesus and appreciate them, him, it's usually for a, a limited purpose or a misunderstood one. And so while you have all of the, the pomp and circumstance of the, the palm branches and the, and the coats and everything being laid out on the, on the road ahead of Jesus, recognizing the authority that he has as he, as he comes in, waiting for him to take his rightful place in their time, in the midst of the palm branches, you have, as I'm calling it, the briars. One is the soft bed of leaves for Jesus to ride on, and the other one is the reality that there's a lot of uh, uncertainty and mis misunderstanding yet. Even, even uh, fighting going on, and, and when you see the, 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 the procession as Jesus is coming in and the crowds and disciples are shouting, Hosanna, some of the briars there are the, are the Pharisees telling Jesus to rebuke his disciples. So in the midst of this triumphal entry, there are still a lot of thorny paths for Jesus to navigate through. And so in our, in our reading today, you have this briar, as it were, in the disciples who see somebody else carrying out the work that Jesus is empowering his disciples to do. And they have this problem. They're not one of us. Whatever's going on is going on out there. They're not one of us, Jesus. Put yourself in the, in the disciples, the, the twelve. Put yourself in their shoes. Just a, a couple paragraphs before this, we were reminded that the disciples who had been given the power to have authority over demons and be able to cast them out were unable to when it came to this small child. And now here, there's somebody else that isn't part of them and they seem to be successful at it. I imagine they're a little bit embarrassed. And sometimes when we feel embarrassed, we tend to act out in ways that are not right. And that's where the disciples are at. They're, 
They're trying to exclude the one who's actually carrying out the work and doing it successfully, trying to push them back. Notice, notice the way that the, the disciples bring it up in verse 38. We saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. You notice their focus there? There's no record here that they said, Jesus, there's somebody out there doing that. Is that, is that all right? Did, did you give them the authority too? What they did is put themselves in a position of authority. They're still the students, mind you, under the teaching of the rabbi, and yet they've assumed this place of, we can make the decisions on who can do what and when and how. We saw them. We tried to stop them. Because they're not one of us. The whole basis seems to be built around that fact that they're not one of us. I grew up and remember hearing that phrase. I've heard it recently too. Maybe not those exact words, maybe that same thought in different words. Maybe we've changed our language, but we speak of other people Maybe even those that we should rightfully consider brothers and sisters in Christ, but hearing that they're not one of us. They're not like us. They're not, they're not our kind. We put ourselves in this position of, of judging who can be the servants of God. It still happens. It still happens that we put ourselves in the position of determining who's with us. Who do we want to have to be a part of us? And that was always meant to be for how God would lay that out in His Word. He, he, he brings in the inclusion of people. And He's been doing that all along. Even though He chose one particular people out of all the tribes, He keeps this door open for those that are curious and recognize the greatness of our God and He allows for even other people to become part of that fold even though they wouldn't be labeled as the children of God. But it's been going on for a long time where, where people have been remarking that they're not one of us and the disciples seem to have uh, caught that bug too. Uh, this... This goes way back from even before them. When you look at um, the account in Moses' days, uh, Numbers 11, listen to this story. Now, two men remain. So this is, let me set the scene. Uh, Moses is uh, presiding over the people, but he's getting uh, rather overwhelmed with all that he has to do. And so they're appointing 70 other elders to sit and help with, Moses, and to take up part of his work. Sort of a similar scene there. Two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered of those 70 
but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. In a very similar way, there's, there's this uh, group of people that think that they've got figured out who's supposed to be able to do the Lord's work, and when they see other people doing it, and doing it in a place or a way that they're not comfortable with, there's this, they want to stop them. Because they're not, they're not one of us. They're, they're not the ones that should be doing that. But the question or the, the, the focus isn't, Moses said, it's not, it's not about me. Are you, are you jealous for me? And the disciples are missing the point here too because they're like, we saw that, we said that, and their whole focus was on themselves. But truly, it's not about you or me. It's not what, what I think about it. It's not up to me, it's not up to you to figure out who's able to do these things. God works that out in his own way. So when you look at uh, these disciples now, again, uh, bringing up this matter with Jesus, is it because they are this uh, exclusive group? I think maybe that's where they're thinking, is that they, they, they recognize that they have special standing among all the others. And Jesus obviously gave them that standing. He chose 12 men to be a particular type of disciples. And he called them apostles. Ones that would spend all of their time with Jesus. And in a way that he would give them special insight and instruction. He would go the extra mile to teach them what the rest of the people only heard in a, in a parable. He would explain to them, even when they were hard of heart and not understanding themselves, he would explain to them those things so that they could carry on the task that Jesus would leave with them. Luke records uh, sending out 72 other disciples. Mark doesn't include that account. But there are, there are 72 others as Jesus sends them out. They are also given authority to preach. And they come back and they say, we're amazed because even the demons are subject to us and they listen to us. And here you've got a group of 72 others right around the same time that are carrying on the work of Jesus, having that same authority, and they're successful at it as well. The, the ministry of, of Jesus' work here on earth is expanding. It's, it's growing beyond just the 12, and that, that will always be the case where God continues to work with one group so that they can bring that teaching and instruction and and kingdom life to the next group. 
Jesus tries to uh, help them in their thinking. Go back again to uh, verse 39. Jesus said, don't stop him. This one that's successfully doing what Jesus would have him to do, don't stop him for no one who does a mighty work. No one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. It, it isn't that they're exclusive in, in who may do these things. They're given special attention as far as what they will be telling people. And certainly Peter, James, and John, the three that were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, they also had extra special insight. And that would be for, for them so that they could continue to carry out the work and spread the news that Jesus said he was going to die and raise again. No one who does a mighty work. That leaves the door open, brothers and sisters, for other people to be able to carry out the work alongside of us. It's unfortunate that we still have this us and them mentality in our Christian circles in our churches. We have neighboring churches and sometimes we feel we're in competition with them or they seem to be doing something and instead of rejoicing with that, we our attitudes are in the wrong place. Not always, but you can probably recognize that, that it still exists in our world today. Maybe you remember some conversations that use those kinds of words or attitudes. No one who does a mighty work in my name. Anyone who's going to carry on the work, let them carry it on. Because it's about the name. Names, names in our culture uh, are less significant than they are in other cultures. And it's certainly our names are far less significant than what a name meant in Jesus' day. And uh, all the way prior to that, there was something about a person that you would automatically think when you hear their name. If I mentioned to you the name Ahab, did a pleasant thought come to your mind? You associate something with the name Ahab. I was watching a, an old uh, Star Trek episode. Yep, geek, whatever. In that episode, there, there was this other race of people that uh, the captain and his crew came upon. And they couldn't understand their language. They couldn't make sense of what they were saying because they would only speak in names. Names of people and names of places. It was rather interesting to watch to see if you could figure out what the name meant. And here you have... Jesus once again reiterating to his disciples 
that there's something very particular and special about his name. Let's go back to uh, verse 39. Uh, Don't stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name. No one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to speak evil of me later. You, 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 can't, you can't align yourself with the things of Jesus and then bash Him the next sentence. You can't be uh, focused on the ministry of Jesus and agree with that and then quickly turn against Him and forget Him and speak evil of Him. It's because you're associating with the name. All that Jesus stands for, his, his entire mission, His entire purpose, all of that is wrapped up into His name. The man uh, who has successfully cast out the demon did it as a servant of Christ in His name. The disciples even recognized that. Jesus, we we saw somebody casting out a demon in your name. And yet they missed the fact that it was in the name that this was being done. They kept associating it with the we and the us, even though they used the right words. But it's not not about uh, just using the name. we, We recognize that too. It's not... It's not the magical finish to uh, a sentence or a prayer that gives you the power and authority. It it doesn't work that way. You can't just uh, ask for whatever you want in this world and then put the little uh, magical tagline on the end, in Jesus' name, and then expect that it's going to happen. We've already looked at that. Look at um, Acts 19.13. And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists understood to, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord, Jesus, over those who had evil spirits. Same thing. You have these, they have these people that are going to use the Lord's name against the evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. These were the seven sons of Sceva who thought, If we just say, in Jesus' name, that'll do it. They misunderstood what the name was all about. And that's where Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand. When when somebody casts them out, in my name, not just invoking the name, not just using it as the tagline, but identifying, associating with Jesus, the one who is with Jesus, for Jesus, and does it in Jesus' name is going to meet with success where the one who thinks I can magically just use the words doesn't work that way. Earlier in Acts, we have a different story uh, who misunderstood this power and authority that you could have. Look at this. Now, Simon, this is Simon the sorcerer, if you remember the story from Acts 8 saw that the Spirit was giving through the laying on of the apostles' hands. He offered them money, saying, 
Give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Here another person thought there was something that you could get out of using, now it's the name of the Holy Spirit, putting a blessing on people. Let me, let me have that too. I want to go out and start blessing people with the Holy Spirit and totally missing the point. As if it's some sort of magical power once again that you could possess so that you could do it at will and for his own benefit, as Peter reminds him. Understanding what the name is would be crucial. And the disciples are still almost there, but not yet. They're still wrapped up in their own world a little bit. And Jesus, Jesus gives this um, example at the end uh, about this reward. Anyone that gives you a cup of water because you belong to me won't lose his reward. There's always something that we are going to gain. Whereas Simon the sorcerer wanted to gain something here and now, Jesus says, you'll get a reward. It's not the kind that you're thinking. It's not the kind that you're used to. It's going to be a reward that you receive later on. It's not an earthly reward. It's the, it's the reward that Jesus was talking about on the Sermon on the Mount. Lay out for yourselves treasure in heaven. Not not a temporal reward now here on this earth where it'll it, it's going to go away. Lay up a, a treasure in heaven. Uh, seek for the reward that is to come in eternity. Yet, towards the end of our passage here, Jesus says, "For the one who is not against us is for us." I find it interesting that Jesus uses the word us in there again. Where that was maybe the misunderstanding of the disciples, we said this, we told him that, because he was not one of us. Jesus allows them to be in that us group yet. Whoever is not against us is for us. You know, when you go to this account in the other two synoptics in Matthew and Luke, they say it the other way. Whoever is not with us is against us. Is it different? Whoever is not against us is for us, Jesus says here. That's the way Mark wants to portray this in a theological way. Matthew and Luke say it in a different way, but that's not contradictory. Whoever is not with us is against us. It's still being able to uh, adopt the ministry of Jesus and what that means. 
So if you're against him, you're not with him. But if you're with him, you can't be against him either. And yet there's this misunderstanding along the way. This is, this is the, if you will, going back to the opening of this, uh, one week earlier. Now let's pick up from there. Where, where we typically see Jesus, and we read that from Luke. I want to read the next paragraph. Because if you look at uh, Palm Sunday from Jesus' perspective, it, it may be a little bit different than what you and I think of Palm Sunday. We, we do recognize the coming of the King in His glory, but in the midst of briars, right? Look at how Luke 19 finishes right after the story we read at the beginning. And when he drew near Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. When Jesus drew near the city of Jerusalem, as he's coming in riding on his donkey and he's getting all the praise and hosannas from the people, he looks at the city and he weeps. Why does he weep? Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. If you would only understand at this point what is about to happen, what is being offered, the the eternal plan of God as it's unfolding before your eyes, you might be able to get on board a little bit more quickly, but it's still hidden from you. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, in the midst of all the shouts of Hosanna, save us. The disciples are still struggling with this idea of who gets to be a part of this salvation plan, setting people free from the tyranny of the devil. The Pharisees are rebuking Jesus, the teachers of the law, those that are entrusted with perpetuating the things of God for the people of God, They're rebuking Jesus for receiving rightfully His praise. Rebuke your disciples, Jesus. Jesus rides in and He weeps over the city. The condition of the city is still so broken, so needy, still so far from understanding exactly what this means for them. And even as the day gets closer and closer to we take that time and we reflect on the cross and the suffering. The disciples too would still not understand. Friday we're going to look at that painful story, not 
not only the intense suffering and pain of Jesus, but also the condition of the people and the very moment that he's going to give his life for his disciples, even, even the one that would betray him. Jesus comes into the city and the palm branches and the coats are laying out and Jesus looks at the city and sees all the briars yet too. All the reasons why he needs to do what he's about to do and his, his passion intensifies. Palm Sunday brings you into the mind of Jesus where he recognizes with fuller intensity the, the road laid out before him. The Via Della Rosa, the way of sorrow. This is, this is what Jesus has in mind as he goes from this day now towards the cross. In the midst of misunderstood praise, and yet right, they recognize a king, and they recognize he's worthy of praise, but they still are a bit confused as to what he's going to do for them. In the midst of that, Jesus makes his way down the way of sorrow to the cross for you and me and them. We have this advantage yet of knowing even the outcome of the day. But keep yourself in the, in the mindset of the people of that day. Imagine the, the intensity with which the week unfolds and you begin to question even in your own mind, what exactly is happening to my master, my teacher, my Lord? And Friday will come prepared to recall the events of those final days and see with even greater intensity the passion of our Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, your, your passion for your people is remarkable. Your patience is beyond comprehension. Many of us may be considered to be patient people, but nothing like you. Even in the midst of great confusion and argument and missing the point, you continue to work with your disciples, the apostles, and those that are around, allowing them into your work and your kingdom, your mission, your purpose. And this day that we celebrate, this triumphal entry, while it has the fulfillment of, of all that had been prophesied about before, and it, it brings that to a head and we recognize that this is about to take place and the prophets were correct and once again our, our faith in your word is renewed. We understand too that, that you came not because we understood why you were there, but we didn't understand why we needed you so, so intently. So we pray, Father, that you will open our eyes in this week 
to discover our, our own great need. Even people that have already been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, our need continues. Our need to be transformed and renewed more and more each day into the image of our Savior so that we may be like Him, that we may take up His task, that we may be agents of good news and hope in this world. Walk with us in this week. You walked with your son. You gave him everything he needed to carry out his mission that you gave him. Walk with us too, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.